Welcome to Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. Jesus forgave us of all sin, past, present, and even future sin. The first time I realized that Jesus took the absolute penalty, punishment, all of it for my sins, that was freedom for me. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Monday's broadcast of The Gospel Truth. This is the beginning of my 14th and last week of teaching verse by verse through the book of Proverbs. We've broken this teaching up into little two-week segments at a time, but this is the 14th week of teaching. We're now in the final chapter of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 31. And I tell you, this has been a powerful series. It has really blessed me. And I believe that this is appropriate to share today because our society are just, we are departing big time from the instructions that God has given. And the book of Proverbs is just, I mean, practical, everyday application of God's wisdom to our life. And it's amazing how people just do not know the things recorded here. So we're now in Proverbs chapter 31. On our program last Friday, I ended with Proverbs 31, 1. Let me just go back and read this. It says, The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy which his mother taught him. We don't know for sure if this is talking about Solomon. Some scholars believe this is just another name for Solomon. If that was so, this would talk about Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, who would be giving this wisdom, which would be amazing considering her background. It would show that, man, God can... Uh, redeem any situation and impart His wisdom to people. But we don't know for sure if this is talking about Bathsheba, but we do know that it was the queen mother who was giving instructions to her son. The, the, as you go on and read through here, it's talking about kings. So this Lemuel that's used in verse 1 is talking about a king, and the mother of the king is the one who's speaking these things. In verse 2, it says, What my son and what the son of my womb and what the son of my vows. So again, this is the mother of the king talking to her son. And notice she said, the son of my vows. This is talking about a marriage relationship where vows are exchanged. This is a kind of a subtle thing right here. But again, today we have people that have forsaken marriage and they just shack up with each other and think that that's sufficient. This is showing that no, the, the mother of this child was a woman who had exchanged vows. It was a marriage relationship. You could put this with John chapter 4 where Jesus talked to the woman at the well and he told her, he says, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you have well said, I don't have a husband because you've had five husbands and he whom you're now living with is not your husband. In other words, Jesus right there showed that when you just shack up with the person, when you just are having a communal lifestyle and stuff, that is not marriage. There are people today saying it is. It doesn't matter that a, a marriage license is just a piece of paper. No, you exchange vows. If people just live with each other without making a commitment and, and sharing vows, a marriage ceremony, there's a reason why they do that. It's because they don't want to be bound by a vow, by a commitment. Even people who go through a marriage seminar, uh, ceremony uh, today, they just disavow those things and walk away from it. It's not binding to most people, but it should be. 
it should be that when you make a commitment that you are going to stay with this person for better or for worse, richer or for poor, life or in death, you are going to stay with them until death parts you. That ought to be a vow that you hold yourself to. The scripture says, I think it's uh, Psalms chapter 15, verse 4, somewhere around there, that a godly man will swear to his own hurt and change not. And that ought to apply in marriage. So anyway, this was the mother of the king talking about that she had exchanged vows and that this child was the product of that marriage relationship. And in verse 3 it says, Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. Now if this was Solomon's that he's talking about, and if this was Bathsheba giving this instruction, this is an amazing thing that this woman is telling her son, don't give your strength unto women. Now again, this is not talking against marriage. This is just talking, about, like for instance, if this was Solomon, Solomon missed big time in this. It says in 1 Kings chapter 11 that Solomon loved many strange women. When it talks about strange women, that talks about women who were not Israelites. And God had given a command not to marry outside of the Jewish nation. Not because he was prejudiced against other races, but it was a faith type thing. It's comparable to what he said over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where it says, "What don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. In other words, you need to marry within the faith. You needed to marry somebody who shared your belief. And it goes on to say, because they will turn your heart away from the Lord. And let me just read some of this to you out of 1 Kings uh, chapter 11 about what happened to Solomon because he did not follow the instructions of the Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 11 it says, But King Solomon loved many strange women, again that's women that are outside of the nation of Israel, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you, for surely they will turn away your heart after other gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had seven hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. You know, Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, is what it says over in Second Chronicles, where he had this encounter and the Lord spoke to him. But anyway, it says that he was the wisest man that ever lived. And it just makes you question whether that was really true when he married 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, in his day and age, that wasn't expressly forbidden. We live under a different covenant where Jesus changed the rules and it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that it's specifically talking about a person who's a leader of a church that he ought to be the husband of one wife. Polygamy was outlawed in the New Testament. It was allowed in the Old Testament. They even asked Jesus about this. I believe it was in Mark. I'm not sure the exact reference on this, but they asked him, why did Moses allow this? And he says, it's because of the hardness of your heart. But from the beginning of creation, it was not meant to be this way, that God ordained there to be one man for one woman. And so in the New Testament, now that we have been elevated to a different level, that God has changed our heart, we're living under a better covenant, and it was best for one man to have one woman. You can see the problems that this caused, like with David.
He had, I think, 13 wives and his children were, there was all kinds of problems in the family. His children killed each other. They revolted against him. It cost tens of thousands of people's lives. With Abraham, he had Isaac and Ishmael by two different wives. It caused serious problems. With Jacob and Esau, uh, you can see the problems there. Of course, there was just one wife in that situation, but the siblings still had problems. And polygamy never was a good thing. But Jacob, uh, he had uh, four different wives, and he had all of these children that came by that, and there was just continual uh, strife and division among them. Polygamy is not a godly standard. And this right here shows that, God, that um, Solomon's wives turned his heart away from the Lord. And it goes on to say in verse 4, it says, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. And it goes on to talk about how Solomon made high places and temples for all of these other gods. So the man who was touched by God who is gifted by God, blessed by God, the man who wrote the book of Proverbs didn't follow his own instructions. The Lord specifically commanded uh, kings not to multiply to themselves wives, and Solomon went against this. And so anyway, if this is Bathsheba giving this, Solomon would have done well to have hearkened to this instruction, but he didn't. In verse 4 it says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Again, there is no guarantee that this was Bathsheba talking to Solomon, but some people believe it was. And if it was, well then Solomon disobeyed this instruction because later in the book of Ecclesiastes, you read where Solomon says that he just gave himself to wine and to strong drink and he indulged every pleasure, and he did everything just trying to search out wisdom and knowledge. So again, this isn't guaranteed that this is talking about Solomon, but Solomon did break this instruction, whether this was his mother talking to him or not. And it's not just for kings that this is said, but this is for anybody. It is not wise for us to give ourselves to strong drink and um, to do these things. I am not one of those that say that you can never uh, have a glass of wine or something like that. And I know that this infuriates a lot of people. I was raised to be a total teetotaler. I've never taken a drink of liquor in my life. I never have. I never will. I don't care to. I don't need to. And so I am certainly not advocating this, but I don't believe that you can say based on Scripture that it's sin to take a drink of wine or something like that because Jesus did it. Jesus turned water into wine. But I can emphatically say that drunkenness is wrong and drinking wine is a step towards drunkenness. Why do it? In the Bible days, Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach's sake and his often infirmities and not drink the water anymore. And I believe that that was specifically related to the fact that there was a lot of illness 
uh, in water, and so wine was a, a way, it was just a healthy thing to do that. But he didn't advocate getting drunk. I, I think that, you know, in those days, there was a reason for drinking wine that doesn't exist today. We have purified water. We have all of these other different drinks. My personal opinion is that there is just no benefit to drinking wine. You're flirting with something that if you go too far, you can get drunk, and that is definitely spoken against, and it's just not wisdom. Personally, you know, if there's a line right here and going across this line is sin, instead of getting up as close to it as I can, walking that line, kind of balancing on it and saying, I haven't sinned yet, man, I'm not that kind. I don't get as close to that line as I can. If this is the line where over there is sin, I'll stay way over here so that if I was to trip and fall, I couldn't even fall across the line. Again, a lot of people would disagree with that and say, man, you're too strict and stuff, but you know what? I have, I praise God that I have never gotten drunk and done these things. And I just don't know why people even flirt with that stuff. In verse 4, it said, it's not for kings to drink wine and strong drink. And it says in verse 5, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of the afflicted. Why would you want to drink something or take something like dope or shoot up something or do any of these things that causes you to be in a stupor and not be able to function properly? There just isn't wisdom in this. You know, um, this again is andeology. I'm not going to say thus saith the Lord on this, but it is my opinion that God has given us a mind and it's like nearly like a valve that guards your heart. And when you are thinking clearly and thinking properly, it is a valve or a screen, a filter that keeps Satan from putting things in your heart and keeps wrong things that are in your heart from coming out. You can restrain yourself and can control yourself. But any time you go unconscious or get to where you aren't functioning normally, such as when you're drunk or high on dope or something like this, I believe it just removes that filter. And it makes you just totally, uh, it, Satan has total access to you. And it allows things that may be wrong in your heart to not have any filter and you say and do things that you shouldn't do. And this is talking about in the spiritual emotional realm. In the physical realm, anytime you get drunk or high on something, man, you could go out and kill somebody in a car wreck. You will say things and embarrass yourself. There is just no benefit to this. I just do not understand why people see the benefit of all of this. And I know some of you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. This is just a problem I've never had to deal with. I never deal with it. I've never been drunk in my life. I've never been high on anything. I've never been out of it in my life. Now, some people may question my wisdom, but nonetheless, amen, I've never had those problems. In verse 6, it says, Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. In other words, this is talking about that if you give strong drink, this is talking about intoxicating drink to somebody, man, it's going to bring destruction. So if you're ready to perish, well, then go ahead and drink. This is not advocating drink. This is talking about the problems that come with it. In verse 7, it says, Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. 
Again, I don't think that this is advocating that if you're depressed, that go ahead and get drunk and forget that situation. But this is just stating that this is what people do. People drink because they are in this terrible situation. They're heavy of heart, and so they drink to get free from it for just a brief period of time. But I don't believe that this is Scripture advocating that that is the right thing to do at all. It's just saying that this is what people do. You know, here's another way of saying it. I've talked to people before, and, and when you go and drink and you get drunk, when you get high, tipsy, whatever you want to call it, did you know for you to do that, there's a number of things happening. Number one, it's expensive. You know, it's not cheap. Alcohol and these intoxicating drinks aren't cheap. So you're going to have to spend a lot of money on this. Plus, you are going to do stupid things. There's some people that, you know, when they get drunk, they get real mellow. There's other people that get real violent. But regardless, you are, your attitude, your behavior, your personality changes. You're going to say and do things that totally humiliate you. We've already dealt with a number of these scriptures in the book of Proverbs where it says that a person that gets drunk is like a person who tries to sleep on top of a flagpole. You know, uh, you, you aren't going to make it. You are going to fall. You are going to injure yourself. And so a person who gets drunk is a person that's going to spend a lot of money. They are going to for sure embarrass themselves. They could kill somebody they, through a wreck or through something like this. And then as it wears off, you're going to have this headache. You're going to have a hangover. Many people uh, just throw up. Man, that right there would solve it for me. I hate throwing up. I've been married for 40, um, what is it, 44 years, and I have thrown up one time just right after we got married, 44 years ago. I do not do this. To me, if getting drunk and then throwing up in the morning was a part of it, that's enough right there to make me never get drunk. It's just terrible. And the only reason that I can see why people do this is because like this is describing, they are such, they are in such a bad situation, such a heavy heart. They are so poor. They are miserable so much that to them, the cost, the embarrassment, the physical problems, the headache, throwing up, all of these things are worth it just to get a few moments of being numb, numbing yourself to your problems. So if you look at it that way, a person who goes and gets drunk is a person who is admitting that my life is a mess, that I need to escape it, even if it's just for a brief period of time. And even if when I'm over this, I've lost money, I've been hurt physically, I probably embarrassed myself, I may have put my life or other people's life in jeopardy. And despite all of these terrible things, I am so miserable, my few hours being numb to it is worth it. You know, if you were to look at things that way and realize that this is a terrible way to cope with your problems, I believe people would quit getting drunk. They'd quit doing these kind of things. These scriptures are talking against getting drunk. It is not an ad, uh, advocating it. It's just saying that people do it so that they can get rid of their miserable existence for just a brief period of time. That's not the right solution. The right solution is to turn to the Lord and let God set you free. And like I talked about over in John chapter 4, when he was talking to the woman, he says, you know, the water that I give him will be in him a well of living water springing up into eternal life. He'll never hunger. He'll never thirst again. 
You could turn to the Lord and let God satisfy your desires. Don't turn to a pill. Don't turn to a needle and shoot something up. Don't go get drunk. That is not your solution. And the very fact that you would embrace something that's going to hurt you, something that's going to cost you money, something that's got the potential of killing you or embarrassing you, the very fact that all these negatives associated with it and yet you'll still do it just shows how desperate your life is. Instead of turning to these natural things, you need to turn to the Lord. This is the wisdom that's being imparted right here. In verse 8, it says, Open thy mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. And this is just talking about that we have a responsibility to help people that are in need. We don't need to stay silent. I dealt last week with a scripture that talks about a thief. And if you know what a thief is planning on doing, and if you don't expose it, then you're guilty just like the thief. This is saying that when you see a person who is appointed to destruction, and I assume that it's applying unjustly, then we need to open up our mouth and we need to stand up for the defenseless. Now, there's a million ways that people are taking advantage of. There's a thousand situations of, that you could apply to this, but I think one of the greatest examples is talking about the unborn. You talk about a person who's defenseless, a person who cannot defend themselves, and that would be an unborn child. And today we have had, I forget the exact number, but over 60 million children aborted in the United States, hundreds of millions of children around the world, and we need to open up our mouth. We need to stand up and we need to speak in their defense. You know, again, I stress that the book of Proverbs is, is applicable to us today. These are things that we need to know. And people think, well, what is something that's written thousands of years ago? What bearing could it have on me? This right here, this truth, I believe it applies to many situations, but one of the obvious ones to me is abortion issue. There are Christians watching this program that you think, well, I'm not for abortion. You aren't going to personally have an abortion, but you don't stand up in defense of the millions and millions of children that are being tortured and killed, even dismembered, born alive, and then parts of their body stripped off and shipped off and sold and making merchandise out of them. And there's Christians that have heard these things and know that they exist, and yet you don't stand up. You wouldn't stand up and say that abortion is wrong. You're violating well, the point that's being made in this verse. We need to open up our mouth for the dumb in the case of all such as are appointed to destruction. That applies to many things, but certainly it applies to abortion. We are not going to be guiltless when we stand before the Lord. Now, if we have made Jesus our Lord, our punishment has been placed upon Jesus, but it was still wrong what we did. We need to stand up and we need to speak. That's one of the things that we learn through these scriptures. I'm out of time today, but again, we're drawing to a close. This is my last week to teach verse by verse through the book of Proverbs. I have a digital copy on this USB where you can get over 900 verses where I've made comments in the book of Proverbs. And the thing that I love about this digital copy is that you can put your cursor over any scripture reference that I have in my footnotes and it instantly pops that verse up so that you don't have to quit that screen and go to another and lose your place. 
IT'S A VERY CONVENIENT WAY. AND I'VE GOT A LOT OF SCRIPTURE NOTATIONS IN HERE. THIS IS JUST A GREAT TOOL TO STUDY THE WORD. AND THEN WE HAVE CD'S, DVD'S, A BOOK. LISTEN TO OUR ANNOUNCER AND THEN PLEASE CALL OR WRITE TODAY. WE HOPE YOU ENJOYED THIS EDITION OF THE GOSPEL TRUTH. ANDREW WOULD LIKE TO EXTEND A SPECIAL THANK YOU TO THE GRACE PARTNERS OF ANDREW WOMACK MINISTRIES. YOUR GIFTS MAKE IT POSSIBLE FOR US TO BROADCAST THE MESSAGE OF GOD'S UNCONDITIONAL LOVE AND GRACE ALL AROUND THE WORLD. BECAUSE OF YOUR CONTRIBUTIONS, WE'VE BEEN ABLE TO PUT FREE MINISTRY RESOURCES INTO THE HANDS OF MILLIONS IN NEED. IF YOU'RE NOT ALREADY A GRACE PARTNER, WE ASK YOU TO PRAY ABOUT BECOMING ONE TODAY. WE TRUST YOU'RE GROWING IN WISDOM AS YOU STUDY ALONG WITH ANDREW THROUGH THE BOOK OF PROVERBS. YOU CAN GET THE ENTIRE SERIES THAT COVERS ALL 31 CHAPTERS OF PROVERBS IN A CD OR DVD ALBUM FOR A GIFT OF ANY AMOUNT WHEN YOU CONTACT US. IF YOU'D LIKE TO ENHANCE YOUR STUDY, MAKE SURE TO GET A COPY OF ANDREW'S BRAND NEW HARDCOVER BOOK ON PROVERBS THAT INCLUDES ALL OF HIS PERSONAL STUDY NOTES AND COMMENTARY ON HUNDREDS OF VERSES. THIS BOOK IS AVAILABLE FOR A GIFT OF ANY AMOUNT. OR IF YOU PREFER, YOU CAN GET THIS BOOK IN THE PROVERBS GIFT SET, WHICH ALSO INCLUDES A LEATHER-BOUND JOURNAL AS WELL AS A PEN SO YOU CAN CHRONICLE YOUR JOURNEY AS YOU STUDY THROUGH PROVERBS WITH ANDREW. THIS PROVERBS GIFT SET IS A LIMITED TIME OFFER AND IS A GREAT IDEA FOR FRIENDS OR FAMILY. ORDER IT TODAY FOR ONLY $65 WHILE SUPPLIES LAST. If you'd like to receive all of Andrew's available resources on Proverbs, make sure to order the Proverbs package. This package has a catalog value of $235, but you can get it for just $199. Contact us to order the Proverbs package today. The 17th audio teaching in today's series is available for a gift of any amount when you write or call. We encourage everyone to give but if you're simply unable to afford it, Andrew and his partners will provide this 17th CD free of charge. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download many free resources. Or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111. To write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. We'd like to point out Andrew's upcoming speaking schedule. Mark your calendars to come meet Andrew at one of these events and let the Word of God transform your life. In the month of March, Andrew will be at the Sanctuary in Woodland Park, Colorado for the annual Karis Bible College Men's Advance with special guest Tony Dungy, NFL Hall of Fame and Super Bowl winning coach, and James Brown, Emmy Award winning broadcaster on the CBS and NFL networks. Also at the Sanctuary in March, Andrew will be hosting the Army Conference for Ministers with special guest, retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin Representative Bob McEwen, Dr. Barry Burns, and Barry Bennett. For more details on Andrew's next meeting in your area, visit our website at awmi.net. I'd like to invite you to come and join me this summer for our Summer Family Bible Conference. It's July the 1st through the 5th 
and we are going to have a lot of different speakers. We have a youth ministry. It will bless you. It will encourage you and entertain you, and it's just going to be a great time for the entire family. Remember, it's July the 1st through the 5th, 2019, at our facilities in Woodland Park, Colorado. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, awmi.net, for our inside story. And coming up, I have Nicole Marbach that I'm interviewing. She was an alcoholic. She was struggling with depression, suicidal, cutting. I mean, it was six years of absolute bondage in and out of mental institutions, and Jesus set her free. Today, she has the Hope Center and she is seeing people's lives changed. It will be a blessing to you. So check it out, the inside story at awmi.net.